where it's okay to not be okay. Really, I mean that. You may meet somebody here at Connection who does not mean that. There are people in every organization that really do not want others to come to their organization unless they are exactly like them. It is okay to not be okay here at Connection. God knows we're broken people. And I'm glad you're here this morning. And I want to thank you. And if you stay around Connection, you will feel that as part of our main nervous system that we want people to understand. We're not looking for people who have it together. We're looking for people who are trying to get together. That's what I'm trying to do. And if others are honest, that's what they're trying to do. We're just trying. This is a place for you if you want to keep coming. Church is a place where you can change. Not this building. This building cannot do anything for you. But I tell you what, the people, the Bible says, are the church. And it is the church that popped your popcorn. It is the church that made your coffee. It is the church that sweeps the floors. It is the church that came out here and gave their time trying to just create an environment where you might just expect something from God to happen. Connection is a place where socks are optional. But grace is a must. And maybe you'll meet somebody someday out here, one Sunday or another day, and they're ornery and they're mean. I met somebody like that this morning. But we all have bad days. And that's when we give grace. That's when we realize it's okay. Because sometimes... We're not okay. And I welcome you to connection. But I will say this. If you continue to come to connection, you will be asked to change. For God encounters us because He wants us to change. He created us with a potential as His image bearers to be like Him. I wish I could explain that from the theological perspective. I have before, and I will when the sermon is appropriate for that. And God knows, as hard as we try, we can't get there. And so God confronts us in those areas that keeps us from being all that He wants us to be, to truly be His image bearers, to live up to the potential that He created us for. And some people will change. And some people will not change. And some people will change for a time. And then they'll say, I'm okay. Thank you, God. And then they'll get away. And then all of a sudden they find out what they were before has got a hold of them again. But now they're intelligent people in the sense God can change them. So they brag on their own power to understand. I know God can make a difference. But they're caught again. And they know that too. And so you will be asked to change. Today, when we look at the Bible, you will be asked to change. And some people will change. Some people will say, I ought to change. And some people won't change. But whether you change or not, you're welcome here at Connection. 
So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Find your Bible and just go to the back part of the left side, and there's that's the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? And I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. We're going to look at Luke 17. And if you've got one of those New Testaments, it's page 67. And if you, if you don't have a Bible, you don't like carrying a big Bible, there's little New Testaments out here that we're giving people as we're going through Luke. Because I will ask you, today especially, there's going to be a lot of underlining I'm going to ask you to do. I'm trying to tell people to underline maybe some weeks, it's six or ten words I ask you to underline or circle, so that when you go back and read that Scripture again, it'll come alive because of those those words you underline, they're the main parts of the teaching that Jesus gave as we looked at that part of the Scripture. So if you've got a Bible, bring it, because if you will bring a Bible, you'll learn to use a Bible. And if you learn to use a Bible, that's what God uses to bring about change in our life. And uh, if you got the app on your, your, your phone, then just get the app up. Be sure you can get the notes. Uh, in here it talks about how to get... There's a page in the worship handout of blanks. I'm going to ask you to fill in, but there's a article in here that tells you how to to get that app if you just like to work off your phone with all this that we have here for the blanks and so i do want you to partake in that again i want to say thank you for coming and joining us i appreciate that i appreciate all the people who help to keep things in order because when you get a group of people together somebody's got to be responsible to make sure things are going smooth and there are so many who have done that, and I appreciate that. Before we look into the Scriptures, I'd like to lead us in prayer. So would you bow with me? Father, today, we've already heard you speak. Father, we, 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 we've had an experience where, where before we came in here, we could, have, we could hear you through music, through songs, and, and then we laughed together, God. That dog was funny. What eyes! And then, Father, we, we sang together and, and we declared that freedom is here. And, Father, we thank You. Your freedom is always where Jesus is lifted up. And then, God, You reminded us, stop pointing fingers, stop sitting in judgment, and to love. And God, we just pray that Your Spirit will speak to us now that we will understand what Jesus is going to say today. I'm yours, God. But even if I sort of say it the wrong way or mispronounce things, then You speak to the ears of the hearer and let them hear what it is You want communicated. Father, we just give You this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, Guys, how do I catch some of you up? Because there's quite a few of you that haven't followed. We're in the book of Luke, okay? The first chapter of the book of Luke, Luke says, well, let me tell you, Luke never walked with Jesus. Luke never talked with Jesus. So Luke had no personal relationship with Jesus, much like us. See, we've not had a personal face-to-face, -face, you know, flesh and blood relationship, skin relationship with Jesus. We couldn't give Him a high five. It's been 2,000 years ago since He went back to be with the Father. Luke had no relationship with Jesus. And yet, God kept Luke's book in the New Testament to describe the life of Jesus. Matthew had a relationship with Jesus. Mark had a relationship with Peter who had a relationship with Jesus. And John had a relationship with Jesus. Luke didn't. And apparently, Luke is being sent by a guy named Theophilus to check out 
because Theopolis apparently is some kind of official somewhere, and they're Gentiles, they're not Jews. Luke's not a Jew, and Theophilus apparently is not a Jew. Probably a Roman officer somewhere, and he, he, he's paying Luke's way. And Luke is going back to where Jesus walked, where Jesus lived, and he's talking to people who would have experienced Jesus. He would have found the shepherds who said, at night, when Jesus was born, did you re- I heard you were one of the shepherds in the field. Did you really hear the angels? Nope. It's not true, or yes, I did. Did you guys go and see the baby? Was he really born? Was it an animal feeding trough where he was laid? Nope. Yes, it really was. Hey, I hear you're the blind man that that Jesus healed. Were you really blind? You sure it just wasn't a, a, a stigma of some kind? Nope, I was blind. See, Luke, if you read the first chapter 3 and 4, he says, I'm carefully investigating these things for you, Theophilus, so you will know what we've been told is true. And see, you and I are 2,000 years past, and we say, how can we believe this book? How do we know it's not written just by man? Well, Luke is within two decades visiting the places, talking to the people who are alive who talked with Jesus. And God has kept that for you and I so that we could understand the relationship with Jesus. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem. If if this is the land of Israel, sort of. Okay? And Bethlehem is... Jerusalem would be down here. And Bethlehem would be down here. See, the land goes all the way up. And, 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 And Jesus is born in Bethlehem. But eventually he's raised in Nazareth, which is in the area of Galilee, because there's a Sea of Galilee. Okay, and the Jordan River flowed out of the Sea of Galilee and into the Dead Sea. And it never flew out, flowed out of the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea's full of deadness. The Sea of Galilee is, it makes agricultural possible, it makes fishing possible, it's an industrial place. And I just say that because in your life, God wants to flow in, but you know what? You just kept it to yourself and you're dying. You go home, you say, I know God, but you're dying. You're really just full of deadness, okay? But, but Jesus is raised up here in Galilee, and, and, and it's up here that Jesus, when He first starts a three-year public ministry, when He's about 30, and He starts touching people, healing people, doing some fantastic things, and He gets a crowd of people. And where he would go now, I want you to understand, the communities up there weren't like Jerusalem, a metropolitan area. They were communities of maybe 50 people, 100 people, 20 people, small communities. And when they heard Jesus over here, they would walk. They would walk sometimes for days to go hear Him because they heard what Jesus could do in a person's life was just life-changing and so people who had this kind of relationship or this situation in their life would go to hear Him. And so when He begins His ministry, He's doing a lot of healing. And then He tells His disciples, and He does most of that work right around that Sea of Galilee. He tells His disciples, I've got to go to Jerusalem. See, I'm going to die. He's going down the cross for us. And so on His way to Jerusalem, now I want you to understand this. He's not healing as much as He's saying some very important things that we have to get in our mind. Because it's one thing to say, Jesus helped me overcome depression. Jesus helped me overcome some addiction. Jesus helped me to forgive. Jesus changed my life. Jesus healed me. And you can walk around all your life and say, Oh, praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Jesus saves! Jesus saves! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! 
But you see, there's some things that now begin to function in you so that your life can be beneficial to the lives of others, not just you walk around, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, I'm saved. Woo! Run down the aisle, run back. But there needs to be a change. Something that is really rational in you as a, as a child of God, as an image bearer. And so now Jesus is teaching some very insightful things. And so what we're going to talk about today is one of those things because you see, it's going to be a few months and He's going to die. And He's going to go back with the Father. And He commissioned you and I who call Him Lord to now take His teaching and take it into the lives of the people around us. Whether they're our children or our parents. Our grandpas or our uncles. Whether they're the people we work with, the people we live with. It's where we go play. And so you see, if we keep saying, Jesus, I want something amazing. Heal me, heal me. And we don't hear this other stuff. We run dry. And we run out. And we give church a few weeks or a few months, but then it's over. Because we've got to learn what He tells us. And today He's going to talk about the kingdom of God. And when I say the kingdom of God, I wonder what you think about. I think most people, when you say the kingdom of God is coming, they think when they die, the next life, when they go to heaven, however they might express that. And yet the Bible teaches us that the kingdom of God is what comes when we turn our lives over to Jesus and we follow Him. The kingdom of God alters our life. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, they turn from their way. You see, you're walking through life and you're living this way and God convicts you. That's what the Bible calls it. He calls you in conviction. says, you know, Mike, you're just making all the decisions. You're really the God of your life. And you know it's a mess. Yeah, it is. Well, I want you to understand. You heard maybe your parents or that preacher or somebody talk about Jesus died for your sins. Yeah. Will you place your faith in that? And you decide no or yes. And you say yes. I believe Jesus died for my sins. God, I'm sorry for living unto myself and not listening to you. That's called repentance. And the word repentance in the Bible, in the Greek, means you say, God, I'll change. And there's a turnaround. Jesus calls it born again, reborn. We'll get in that in the next couple sermons. Because he gets in it. And we try to live for Him. Now listen, when I say try... You can't do it on your own. I always get self-righteous trying to do it on my own. And I have to constantly stop and think, how would Jesus love in this situation? How would He live in this situation? And boy, now, things of the world are pulling against me because, see, Satan doesn't want me living for Jesus because as Jesus changes my life, He may change my mate's life. As Jesus changed my life, He may change my parents' life. As Jesus changed my life, He may change my children's life. And Satan is pulling. Sometimes I make a mistake and I sort of turn around. And if I'll stay around the church, not this building, God's people, He'll speak to me because He wants to keep me right there, living and loving like Jesus. And so he's going to talk about the kingdom of God. If you have your worship handout, I want you to look at the first blank because I want you to fill it in. This is what an Australian theologian named Graham Goldsworthy said. And I love it. He said, the kingdom of God is the people of God in the place of God 
under the rule of God. Somebody says, where is the kingdom of God? This Australian theologian, he's an Anglican, he said, the kingdom of God is the people of God in the place of God under the rule of God. Now we think we just are first people to talk about kingdom of God 2,000 years later. But 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was walking, the people were asking about the kingdom of God. And they come to Jesus and they ask Him about the kingdom of God. If you have your Bibles open, or if you don't have a Bible, look on the screen. But I invite you afterwards, take one of those New Testaments and bring it back next week and mark it up. But look at verse 20. Look what it says. It says, one day the Pharisee, a Pharisee was a very religious person, okay? He was a person who should be able to instruct people in living the way God would want them to live. But as we've learned, as we went through Jews, the Pharisees became very judgmental, okay? They pointed fingers. They got upset with Jesus because he sort of broke the fingers and said, listen, you've got to learn to love people. Some actions aren't correct, but you know, they need to be loved. You're treating them as outcasts. So one day the Pharisee asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? In other words, the Pharisees knew about the kingdom of God. And I'm going to talk a little bit. Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. And so the people understood when the kingdom of God comes, things would get better. When the kingdom of God comes, things wouldn't be as tough. When the thing, when kingdom of God comes, Satan would not have control. When the kingdom of God comes, sin is not going to be a problem. When the kingdom of God comes, listen, you don't have to lock your doors anymore. When the kingdom of God comes, there's no more ugly abuse. When the kingdom of God comes, there's no more hardship. There's no more harshness. There's no more suffering. See, when the kingdom of God comes, that's what we all want. I can't wait. And, and, and you know, a lot of us think the kingdom of God is when we retire. Yeah, see, some of you understand that. The kingdom of God is whenever I get that, I, I, I get married. Oh, I get that significant other. Yeah, that's really the kingdom of God. King God is whenever I get that job. Man, I'm going to make all that money. And then what? Six months or two years later? Oh, gee, I need another job. More pay. See, we tend to think the kingdom of God, things are going to get better when we accomplish. The kingdom of God is what God does. And see, this Pharisee knows about that. And people are hearing about that. If we had time to look, Luke 6.20 says, Jesus said the kingdom of God is yours. In, in Luke 8.1, Jesus was announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. See, when He's going around. In, in Luke 9, verse 2, Jesus sent out His followers to tell everyone about the kingdom of God. In other words, there's a better time for you. There is a possibility, the potential of a better time for you. In, in Luke 12, 31, Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. In Luke 14, 15, Jesus said, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And, and I've just given you about five or six. Luke is loaded with references to the kingdom of God. Because Jesus didn't hide it. And these people, they heard about the kingdom of God and they wanted it. They heard about the healing. They heard about the peace. They heard about the contentment. They heard about the release from the pressure that comes in this world. They heard about the kingdom of God. And so they're saying, when will this come? When can I experience this? Just like some of you came in or hoping, maybe, when can I experience what somebody who invited me said they're experiencing or what I've seen happen in somebody's life? 
Well, look, verse 20 goes on. Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. Now, why does he say that? Because he's going to talk about his second coming, and he's trying to tell the people, no, I want you to understand, the kingdom of God is not involved in being able to read signs. Okay, we got TV preachers who are telling us you've got to know the signs of the times. And we have people who just go sermon after sermon on the signs of the time. And Jesus says, I want you to understand, the kingdom of God is not tied in with that kind of signs. And he's going to talk about it in a little bit. There's a sign, but we'll read it in context. But we got people trying to tell us when Jesus is coming. And some of us get so caught up with that that we never deal with what is he saying to us about life and living it in my marriage, in my family, or as a single, where I work. What is he saying to me about living life where I spend my pleasure time? Well, he goes on in verse 20, he says, for the kingdom of God is already among you. What? He made it quite clear that where he was, the kingdom of God is. Remember what I said? The kingdom of God are the people of God. Jesus was the people, a person of God. He was God himself. In the place where God wanted him, under the rule of God. Even Jesus struggled with temptation. Stay with me through Luke, you'll see that. Even Jesus struggled with wanting to do it himself. But he was under the rule of God. And he always did what he understood. The Father wanted because he knew the Father had his best interest. The Father was the Creator. He understood that. He understood that. And you and I have the same kind of struggles. And you, you know what happens is, see, back then, 2,000 years ago, people missed the kingdom of God because they would not follow Jesus. And today, people miss the kingdom of God because they will not follow Jesus. And listen, people of other faiths says, boy, you think you're the only way. I never said that. Jesus said, this is His words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. See, Jesus is trying to tell him, you're looking for something that's already here. And I want you to understand, some of you are looking for something that is already possible. But you'll miss it if you don't follow Jesus. And that's what he's trying to get across. Now look, he goes on. He goes on. It says... 21, no, yeah, 21, for the King of God is already among you, 22. Then He said to His disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns. Now this is a reference of the second coming. The King of God is already there in the person of Jesus. And anybody who follows Jesus is going to experience what God has for them. Okay? And so now He moves and He says, you know what? There's going to come a time when you're going to be so tired of this sinful world that you're going to say, man, I wish something would happen to make life better. Now listen to me. If you're older, if you're 50, 60, 70, or 80, you know it's not getting better. Look, I remember a time sleeping on the busiest street of Decatur, Illinois, the main road, and never locking our doors. And all of us just sleeping outside on hot summer nights because you didn't have air conditioning. And nobody stayed awake and watched for somebody coming and bash your head in or take your money or whatever they might try to do. See, Jesus is saying to these people, you know what? There's going to come a time when man going to say, I want Jesus to come back. They're going to long for this. And some of us, life is so complicated, 
We just long for God to do something. We want His kingdom to come. We wish Jesus would get involved. And Jesus has already got involved. It's just whether we will follow Him. But He says, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns. See, Jesus came the first time in humbleness. <laughs> he was born to a very poor family. As an adult man, He says, I don't even have a home of my own. <laughs> and he, people with power ran over Him. He was very humble. But when He comes a second time, He's going to come in power. He's going to come in glory. See, He says, you're going to long for that time. And He calls Himself the Son of Man. And I want you to understand, because if you read the Gospels, you hear Him referring to Himself as Son of Man. And somebody says, Jesus never said He's God. When He said Son of Man, He's saying He's God. I want you to look where this terminology, Son of Man, came from. It came from almost 500 years earlier. Look on the screen from Daniel. Daniel 7, 13, and 14. Now, Daniel is a book people will study who want to try to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Daniel 70 weeks for you all who've been involved in that. You all who haven't, don't worry about it. Okay? Just try to learn how to love your, your family and your mate and your friends and, and enjoy your work and make a difference. Don't go to work like everybody else being sad and sour. Go to work with optimism. Live and love like Jesus. Well, Daniel said, here he said, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man. Jesus just took the prophetic statement and that's what he called himself because he's this guy. That's what Jesus is saying. Like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, He approached the Ancient One. Now, in the Bible, that parenthesis part isn't there. That's so you can understand. That's God the Father. And was led into His presence. Look at verse 14. He was given authority. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. Now that's the Son of Man. That's God's Son. That's Jesus. We can put together New Testament understanding of Jesus with prophecy. And Jesus Himself says, I'm the Son of Man. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Verse 14 sounds like the book of Revelation. When it talks about when He returns. You see, Jesus was saying, you're looking for the kingdom of God? I want you to understand, in your prophecy, because they didn't have New Testament back then, the Pharisees, the disciples would have to read the Old Testament. They could read the book of Daniel. And Jesus is saying, the Son of Man is supposed to come. He has a relationship with God, Father. He's going to come. I'm Him. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one who has been with God. I'm the guy. Jesus was saying, you want to know where the kingdom is at, I'm the guy. And you want to know where your hope is? It's not on having more money. People with money, they could buy us all out. Can't get a hold of life. And it's not in things. People who have things, they have more drugs in you, they have more substances, they have more cars, they have more houses, they can't get a hold of life. It's in Jesus. And Jesus identifies Himself as the one that prophecy said was coming. 
And Daniel's written 500 years before Jesus existed on this earth. Let's go back to Luke. Look at verse 22. But you won't see me. I'm sorry, but you won't see it. In other words, they will not see what God is doing in him, and they will not see the second coming. And they won't see it because it hasn't happened yet. But he goes on. He says, people will tell you. Now look, this is what we hear today. Look, there is the Son of Man. Or here He is. But don't go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and, the, and lights up the sky from one end to the other, the next 13 words you ought to underline so you, when you read this passage, you realize you've got to interpret the coming of, God, of the Son of God, the Son of Man, is right here. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. In other words, what he's trying to say is when Jesus comes back, it's going to be like lightning that flashes. It's sudden. Pow! And then it's gone. Did you see the lightning last night? Couldn't help. I knew I was going to talk about this. And the lightning would flash. And I'd look, but it was gone. The lightning would flash. I'd look, and it's gone. Lightning is that quick. Don't you wish you could anticipate where the lightning is going to be so you could get your camera ready and get it for sure? Jesus says, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be sudden. Be ready. The King is coming. Jesus is going to return. And it will be sudden. Like lightning. Flash! And He's here. Will you be ready? And that's what He's trying to get across. He explains that in the next few verses. Look at verse 25. And if you could, just sort of put a parenthesis around verse 25 because the entire verse is important to understand this thing about when He's coming back. He says, but first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. In other words, Jesus is saying this. I tell you what, if you got your blank, let's just fill in the blank. That'll summarize it. Before the King can come, the next blank on your... Worship hand out. Before the king can come, there must be a cross. That's what he's saying. I've got to suffer. Okay? There's going to be a cross. You see, some want the kingdom of God without realizing the need for the cross. I'm going to say this. You and I cannot experience the kingdom of God until we realize the importance of the cross of Jesus. You see, I want to live this life with as little resistance and pain and, and trouble and difficulties I can get. But whenever I studied Jesus, I realized in this same world, just 2,000 years later, He faced difficulty. He faced difficulty. And so what I have to do, I have to make a commitment to Him who died on the cross that I will seek to live and love like Him. And it is in that that the kingdom of God begins to flood my life. And it impacts my marriage. It impacts my thoughts. It impacts what I do, where I go, the things I involve myself in. You see, we want the kingdom of God, but we don't want to hear about Jesus died for your sins. So are you, are you repenting of your wrong behavior? And all of us have to keep doing that. We are born into God's family, but as His children, Satan, remember I did this thing where we're going one way and God convicts us and we say, Jesus is Lord and I'm going to follow Him. And we make that repentance, which means to turn in the Bible. And we're going and Satan's trying to pull us away. And we've got to realize when we sin again, We've got to just repent. We've got to tell God, I'm sorry. Get back. Living and loving like Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, you know, first, before there's going to be a return, there's got to be the cross. There's got to be the suffering. You cannot have the kingdom of God without a relationship with Jesus Christ who died for your sins. That's why in 
Many churches you go, they talk about you need to turn to Jesus who died for your sins. Look at verse 26. And again, I would say if you could put parentheses around 26, it's so important. Look what he says. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. See, that's important. When is Jesus coming back? Hmm, i tell you why. I figured up the numbers of the Old Testament, and I think it's going to be December 21st, 2013. You heard anybody do that to you? Jesus didn't give us that formula. Jesus says, you want to know when I'm coming back? It's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Now look, he describes that in 27. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. In other words, he's saying, be ready. The king's coming. I'm coming back. And I'm going to come when you don't expect it. And it's going to be like the flash of lightning. Boom! I'm here. You said, oh, if I'd known you was coming this afternoon, I would have got ready. No, boom, I'm here. See, he says, be ready. It's going to happen quick. And when is it going to happen? It's going to be like those people. They didn't expect a flood. Matter of fact, up to that time, there's no flood on the earth. And then a flood came. Why didn't somebody tell me? Noah's building that big ark. Why didn't somebody tell me? They just ignored what God was doing through other people, through Noah and his family. They ignored the warning God was giving. And so he's saying, I'm going to come back when people are like they were during the time of Noah. They were having parties. They said, hey man, we got to go hang out. You know, seven screens, frosty mug. Woo! I drove by that. I asked the wife, hey, you want to stop in here and get a Coke? I'd like to see seven screens. Hey? But I got to be careful. Because I don't, alcohol can be a problem for me, see? See, I have to realize that's probably not wise. Seven screens aren't worth the potential danger. And you know that about things in your life. And yet, you say, yeah, don't worry about that. Those things become a cross to me. I have to die to them. See? And so, he says, like when Noah comes, look, 28, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. What? People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until, verse 29, until the morning Lot left Sodom, then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. In other words, he's saying, you know, Jesus is going to come back. I'm going to come back when people are living like they did during time of Noah, they're just living life and they aren't thinking anything about me. Or like in the city of Sodom when nobody was thinking about God. He says, I'm going to come back when people have just said, not even going to be concerned about God and what He wants. And when He comes, it's going to be like lightning. And you're going to say, man, I wish I would have known. He's going to talk about that in a little bit. Now look, Verse 30, that's an important verse. If you can sort of parentheses, you can underline it all if you want. But look what he says. It's not a real long verse. He says, yes, it will be business as usual right up to today when the Son of Man is revealed. You know what? People are just going to be living. They're going to be getting married, having sex, having babies. They're going to be going to the taverns or going to the movie theaters. They're going to be going to the golf courses. They're just going to be going to work. Life as usual. you got people... Matter of fact, in the history of mankind in America, we've had people who sold their belongings and got on a mountaintop and just waited for them to come because somebody says, it's going to be today. I'm telling you, 
Jesus says, you want to know when I'm coming? It's going to be when people just have just totally refused to think about me anymore. Not coming. And you know what? Today, majority of people in the world don't even concern themselves with Jesus coming back. Even some who say they're believers, they live their life in such a way as if, big deal, Jesus is coming back. He says, that's how it's going to be. Look at 31. On that day, a person, look what he says, out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Some of you are saying, I don't understand that. What do you mean not go out to the house to pack, not go to the field? In other words, when it happens, when he comes, he told you it's going to happen like lightning. Look, if you knew lightning was going to hit here, would you stay here? No. But we don't know where lightning is going to hit, correct? And so he's saying, people... People, they're not going to have time to go pack. They're not going to have time to do something else. You don't have time to go home and make arrangements. Listen, it's too late to talk to your children about Jesus when He's come. It's too late for you to live the kind of Christian life you ought to be living with a person you're married to or dating when He comes. Now's the time. Everybody's looking for the kingdom of God. He wants the kingdom of God to be lived now. Hear me. I know. Sometimes I hurt people. Sometimes I say things the wrong way. Anger is my number one life issue. But I know how many times God has spoken to me and I say, I'm sorry. I know how many times I bite my tongue. I know how many times I don't strike out because Jesus makes a difference. Remember I told you the kingdom of God, I said this very early in the sermon, alters the way we are. And he's trying to say, you can't say, okay, I know he's coming tomorrow. I'm going to make a big difference. I'm going to call all the kids up. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to tell the people I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get everything right. No. There's not time to go set things right. You can't go into the house and pack. You can't go to the field and say, I better finish this. He's saying, be ready. The king is coming. He will come. That's what he's saying. Now look, he goes on 32. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Very important. Now I'm not bringing this up. Somebody says, I don't believe the story of Lot's wife. I don't even believe the story of Sodom. Okay? You can read it in Genesis 19. This is the story. Lot and his wife and his girls are there. The girls are with their husbands. And, and the city is full of rebellion toward God. Okay, some people want to use it to point fingers at certain sin. I'm telling you, it was just the city would not listen to God. Okay, and so God's going to destroy the city. Now, some of you are going to say, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. Real quick, three sermons or two sermons ago, I said, we got this problem. We make ourselves God, and we say, if I was God, then God ought to behave the way I say He ought to behave. See, that's what we do. And, and God says His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. You and I can't figure it all out. Matter of fact, I, I saw a movie many years ago where, where Morgan Freeman was being God, and he, said, and, and, and he was asked, how do you keep everything going? And he says, you ought to try being it sometimes. And he gave that human the power to listen to all the prayers about drove him crazy. So when you want to be God, see, you say, if I was God, I would do it this way. I'm just telling you, God told Lot, He says, you and your family need to leave the city. Sent angels there so they'd know for sure. Going to destroy the city. You leave the city. Okay? 
And he said, when you leave the city, when you leave the city, don't look back. Okay? Don't look back. Because our tendency is, see, I come to God and I want His kingdom, but here's what it is. See, I'm going this way, and then I change, and I want to keep looking back. I want some of that still. I want to still do this in my old life. And he told him, he said, don't look back. Don't long for what you're leaving. And that's always a struggle. Control issues, for me, is the number third life issue I have to deal with. Wanting to control Laura instead of letting her be liberated as my companion. I want to control her as her husband. And I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just telling you, if I'll take my mask off, maybe you'll take your mask off and God can change us. Because a lot of us got a lot of hidden stuff. But you can't look back. And that's what He told them. And look, 32 says, remember what happened to Lot's wife. Anybody know what happened to her? She looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. She looked back. One last look. One last... I'm telling you, 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 you come to the Lord. And when you look back, it captures you. Oh, one won't hurt me. You look back and it gets a hold of you. Oh, I can say that word. You look back. Listen, I'm just expressing. You look back. I'm just saying like it. You look back. And you know what a pillar of salt is in the middle of the desert? Worthless. Would you want to take salt where you can't find much water? In other words, what it is, it's all an illustration that God gives us out of real life. If it wasn't true, Jesus is a liar. If Jesus is a liar, He can't be Lord because He's got sin in His life and Jesus had no sin. That's why it's easy for people to say, I don't want to believe in some of this. When Jesus talks about it, it's either got to be true or He's lying. If He's lying, forget His Lordship. And the illustration is, when you look back, it'll get a hold of you. And you'll never live up to your potential. You'll never experience your future. And you know what? She never got to experience the future with her husband. She never got to experience the future with her kids. And some of you are looking back. Some of you want to keep holding on. You want the kingdom of God, but you want to look back. And you know what? Your marriage is not what God wants it to be. And when He shows you somebody who's got the kind of marriage that you know you want, you look back. You say, but I can't change. I can't be any different, God. And you keep looking back and saying, I'm sorry, this is the way I am. But that's not the way God wants you. And it's the same thing for parents with kids. You keep holding on to your past and your kids are being raised with it. And your future, your future is going to be loaded with complications. Because when we make wrong choices, all we do is complicate our lives. And see, he's, he's saying, listen, I want you to understand. When I come back, people are going to just be living and they aren't going to be even thinking about me coming. It's going to be like when, when Lot and his family left Sodom. It's going to be quick and happen. And he gives it, he just injects a negative illustration. Remember Lot's wife. She looked back. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you want the kingdom of God, if there's any hope for you, man, woman, young person, you got to just look to Jesus. You got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You got to look to Jesus. You got to realize what he did on the cross for you. What's Jesus done for me lately? He made it possible for you to have a future and to live the potential God intended for you. You can't look back. Now here's what God says we are to remember. What Jesus says we are to remember. 
as we live until He comes back. Look at verse 33. And again, I'm going to say, circle that verse because it helps you understand this thing about His coming and you won't get caught up by these TV preachers that just want your money. And you're going to say, well, you want my money. We're not passing the offering plate. We just put a box back there. Most of you leave and forget to put your offering in there sometimes. That's, you know, we're trusting God in that. But this is what you want to remember when people are trying to tell you, are you reading the signs? Verse 33, he says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. Lot's wife lost her life, her potential, and her future because she looked back. And that, Jesus puts this after He says, remember Lot's wife. He's saying, you look back. You see, some of you have the potential, such potential for God, but you keep hanging on to that wrong person. You keep hanging on to that wrong thing. You keep hanging on to that which pulls you down. Doesn't help you experiencing God better. They're, they don't help. They just are an anchor that keeps pulling you away. And you know that. Because they cause you to have trouble. They cause you to have trouble with your mate. They cause you to have trouble with your parents. They cause you to have trouble with your kids. They cause you to have trouble just with your own consciousness of knowing you ought to be, but you can't be. Because you see, you keep looking back. That's why He says, if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. Somewhere I have to give it up. Giving it all. What did that song say? To go whose way? Your way. God's way. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And some of you are saying, I can't get a hold of it. Hey, hang out with people who are trying to get a hold of it. Find somebody who's illustrating that. Learn from them. But He says, you can't cling to your life. You can't keep looking back. You can't keep saying, but I want to do it this way. And then Sunday morning saying, but God, I wish I could feel Your kingdom in my life. No, you can't go have those sex experiences. You can't go have those anger issues. We all have those kinds of things. Don't get me wrong. But there has to be repentance of those. You just can't say, well, I can do those and then I'll come on Sunday and I'm going to find God's kingdom. You can't cling to that kind of thinking. That's what most of this world and many people who profess to be Christians are clinging to. And they're not finding the kingdom. Look at 33. It goes on. And if you let your life go, look what he says, you will save it. You know what's going to impact the destiny of yourself and your children and your children's children? It is if you'll lose your life to Jesus. I know some of you, some of you got metal, medical problems. Some of you got, 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 got personality problems. Some of you got, got, got a history and people know your history. But I'm going to tell you, you let that go to Jesus. And your future, your future will be saved. Your potential will come out. But you got to be careful. You can't look back. can't keep longing for what you left. Because that will always pull you. And you won't experience the kingdom of God. Well, he says in 34, look what he says. That night, in other words, when he comes, quick, now somebody said, oh, it's going to be at night, not in the day. Okay? The reason he's going to say that at night because he's just going to use an illustration. Somebody's asleep, okay? That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken. They're going to be with Jesus. The other left. Verse 35, two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. So somebody says, it's at night. He says that. Well, then these ladies are working at night outside. That don't make sense, okay? Don't let somebody do that to you, Okay? He says, two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, be with Jesus, the other left. See, it's that quick. 
That quick. You don't have time to go pack your bags. You don't have time to go in the house and make a phone call. Listen, kid, it's happening. You must. You want to know what will transform your mate? You want to know what will transform your parents? You want to know what will transform your children? Your transformed life. Don't keep saying, I wish my boy or my girl would change. Don't keep saying, I wish my wife or my husband would change. You want it to change? You change. You're in a workplace you don't like? You want to know how to transform that workplace? Don't keep saying, I wish the boss, the supervisor, or those people. You! The transformation in your life will make a difference. It will make a difference. Look at the last blank on your message map. Let's fill it in. Be ready, it says. Be ready. That's those two words go in the blank. The king will come, and he will come when you don't expect him to come. That's what this is all about. Okay? In other words, two people are in bed. One's taken, one's not. In other words, relationships will be separated when the king comes. I know. You want to predict those grandchildren? I'm going to tell you right now. Then you better start cleaning up your life if you're not following Jesus. Relationships will be severed. Working experiences will be severed. That's what he said. Two people in bed, they're close if they're in bed. They're going to be separated. Two people working in the field, they're close. They're side by side. They're going to be separated when Jesus comes back. Now, verse 36 is not included in the New Living Translation, so I'm not even going to talk about verse 36. If you carry a King James Bible, because the King James Bible will put it in context, because the King James Bible was translated by recent manuscripts, but the newer translations, we have found manuscripts much older than the King James Bible translation. The King James Bible will, if it's a good King James Bible, have in the margin. Verse 36 wasn't found in the older manuscripts. If you've got a new international version of the Bible, an NIV Bible, it will leave it out and it will direct your attention to the bottom or a note somewhere and say, some, old, some not older manuscripts have this verse. But that verse is overwhelmingly, it was an addition because the older manuscripts do not have that verse. I'm not going to talk about it. If you got questions, talk to me later. Verse 37. Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples ask. In other words, coming to the, the close, and he, they say, Tell us, where's this going to happen? In other words, where's the location? Some people believe it's going to be on Mount Olive in Jerusalem, or in that area near Jerusalem. Some people believe it's going to be Independence, Missouri. See, some people want to know where it's going to be. You, you, see, you see, we think that's 2,000 years. We ask that. They're right there with them, and they're asking this. Jesus replied, Just as the gathering of vultures... Shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. In other words, listen. He's saying this when he talks about this sign. He says, if you see one vulture in the sky, there may be a weak animal down there, but it's probably not dead. But you get two or three, there's a dead carcass on the ground. And so Jesus has already told us the signs. He says, the cross must come first. Has the cross come? And He says, now, People start living. These are all the vultures. People start living, not even concerned that Jesus is coming back. See, some of you love your grandchildren so much that you leave them trust funds and you buy them things that are very valuable, but you never ever let them see the transformation of God in your life. See, he says when you see those vultures, you know it's getting near that time. 
My question is, are you ready? Are you ready? It's so easy, listen, it's so easy to get so far from Jesus. It's so easy for us to get so caught up in this life that we don't stop and think, am I ready to stand before Him? Am I ready for Him to come back? Am I prepared for that time? People prepare for going on a trip. They'll get everything ready so that they can go on that trip. But they never prepare to meet God. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen quick. And you don't have time to go pack a bag. You don't have time to go in the house and call somebody. It has happened. And my question is, are you ready? Are you prepared? We tend to look all around, but we seldom look up to Jesus. We want all the answers and we'll look everywhere else. We'll read all the books. But His words, we don't concentrate on. Jesus Christ came. He lived. That's an evidence of history. Forget the Bible. There's other evidence. More evidence than any other religion of antiquities leaders existed. Jesus lived. And He died on the cross. Because what is your and my problem is sin. We just rebel against God. And Jesus died on the cross. And if we claim His death, His shed blood for our sins, seeking the forgiveness that God gives, He washes away that sin and we are not separated from Him nor from God the Father. And some of you need to make that commitment and begin following Jesus. And Jesus says the evidence of the forgiveness of sin is the obedience of following. Not perfection, but the obedience of following. Seeking when you're doing what you shouldn't do, I'm sorry, Father. And getting back to where He wants you. Today I invite you to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm going to say a prayer that's similar to the prayer I said when I became a Christian. The prayer's not magic. It's whether a person means it. So I'd like you to bow your heads. If Jesus Christ is not your Lord, then I ask you if you can mean these words, that you repeat these words in your mind's voice to God. Dear God, I am, I am realizing that I am far from You. And I know that I am a sinner and that I'm seeking my sin. And I am sorry for that. And I believe Jesus died for my sins on the cross. And I claim His death. The giving up of His life. To bring me life. And God, I thank You for saving me. I ask You to help me follow Jesus. I pray these things in His name. Jesus' name. Amen.